something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Now today we're going to go a bit uh, tech on the show if we can. Obviously I've got uh, someone on the other side of the pond who does like his tech and uh, that would be John Berger. How are you doing sir? We're sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. <laughs> Not a whole heck of a lot going on. It's that kind of time of year, isn't it? It, it is. It's just like, well, we, we did have our little blizzard of 2017 pass through here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got hit with about 14 inches of snow, nothing major. Uh, cousins of mine further northeast were saying that they got like 30 inches. But otherwise, you know, the, the roads were clear, relatively clear in our area later that day anyway, because the temperatures were always slightly above freezing. They had already plowed out. So what was on the streets already had a chance to start melting. Yeah. Which is pretty much what happens as soon as it gets here. Um, you get a bit of snow, uh, and I do mean a bit of snow. I've seen <laughs> more white stuff on, on a dessert plate, you know, when uh, when they put the, the, the sugary stuff on top of your desserts. Um, <laughs> yeah, as soon as it hits the ground, it gets wet, and that's it. It just dissolves. So. Yeah, but you guys are awkward. A friend of mine in London once told me, you know, we don't have a, we don't have climate over here. We have weather yeah I'll, I'll give you an example of that when i went to the uh, paralympic games in 2012 you know you have the big uh, jumbotron things mm-hmm. uh, at stadiums um and it gave you you know time temperature all that kind of stuff and it said weather conditions typically british <laughs> i love that <laughs> <laughs> See, but unfortunately, to the people outside the UK, they probably have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, we we don't have seasons in the UK. It's either raining or not. That's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> you might get a couple of couple of weeks in the summer that's hot, and that's when the weather forecaster on the TV starts comparing our weather with other countries, where it will say something like. Um, it's hotter here than Marrakesh. <laughs> Things like that, you know. Nice. Because <laughs> I, I mentioned it before, we, we just have a weird thing with the way we do the weather over here. And with the temperatures in particular. If it's cold, then we do it in uh, Celsius. And if it's hot, we do it in Fahrenheit. Is that just like drama yeah it's to make it look more impressive than it actually is but <laughs> I, I don't I, i'm far more impressed with that one weather guy you have over there that was able to successfully pronounce that one welsh town that has like five thousand letters in its name now today we had a big contrast in temperature across the uk just 12 degrees over coastal parts of eastern england with cloudy skies but in the sunshine in northwest wales at raf mona just up the road from clan by the temperature got to 21 celsius at 70 in fahrenheit i just call it goch 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 yeah that's pretty, the... yeah that that's about all you can do <laughs> and doesn't it actually have a meaning to it as well yeah i think it's like 
village on the side of a mountain by the lake. Uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, now, now I've got to look it up. <laughs> now, just because I want to see how many letters are in there. Okay, I found it. I, I want to see if... Let me, just give me some time here to actually count the letters out. <laughs> 30, 31, 32, 33. Okay, I might have missed a letter here or there, but the name of this Welsh town is roughly 57 letters long. Yep. <laughs> I think it is the longest place name in the world. And if... Oh, yeah, I can see... Okay, supposedly the name means... St. Mary's Church in the hollow of the White Hazel near a rapid whirlpool and the Church of St. Ticilio? Ticilio? Something like that. Of the Red Cave. It's probably Ticilio. Dude, I'm an American. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just trying to think think Welsh. (laughs) Just going by what I'm seeing here. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I, I know a uh, friend of the show, Gareth Jones, will be mm-hmm. very uh, devastated with me for that because him being a Welsh speaker, uh, he would be devastated at the fact that I haven't pronounced it. Well, you're not Welsh, though. <laughs> no, but he likes to think I, I, I do try occasionally <laughs> to say the odd thing to him in Welsh. Whether I've offended his family or not, I don't know. But... Um, <laughs> It's it's probably easier to speak Klingon than it is to speak Welsh, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, okay. You people are silly. Of course, then again, I can't say anything. Because here in Pennsylvania, I live very close to Amish territory. Mm -hmm. And there is a paradise. There is a bird in hand, Pennsylvania. There is a blue ball, Pennsylvania. There is, and I kid you not, Intercourse, Pennsylvania. Yeah, we have some really weird names here too, and we're always looking out for them. Um, some of them I won't pronounce right now because every time they they come up on the news, you get somebody snigger because it's it's quite funny. Um, Intercourse, Pennsylvania. Hello. <laughs> oh, I also cannot forget Virginville, Pennsylvania. <laughs> that is legit. But we have. Um, we have weird names like upper this and lower that and, you know, those kind of things. We uh, do, too. And I, I'm looking for a town that's probably going to be... Or it's more like a village that's going to be something like Upper Vicar's Bottom or something like that. You know, it's going to be... Um, <laughs> a typical little uh, quaint Miss Marple-style uh, village. See, I went, I, I went straight to Monty Python and just thought, the naughty vicar. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think we uh, ought to take a break there. And when we come back, um, well, we're going to talk tech, but I think it'd be good if you you were to talk a little bit about it'll be good if you <laughs> <laughs> went on a, a little bit about your time at PAX East. I, I think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. It's T-minus 45 minutes until the final countdown commences. In less than one hour, 
If all goes according to plan, the three members of the Apollo 11 crew will blast off in their... My father's name was Edwin Eugene Aldrin. ...has dreamt of mankind's greatest adventure. I became Buzz. Destination, the moon. We look back at the Earth and watch it get smaller. Oh, it was beautiful. Apollo 11, this is Houston. I've got the morning news here, if you're interested, over. Go ahead, Houston. An Irishman has won the World Porridge Eating Championship by consuming 23 bowls of instant oatmeal. I'd like to enter Aldrin in the oatmeal eating contest next time. He's on his 19th bowl. Roger. Human nature and curiosity is to explore the world around us. And the world around us includes way beyond. Go Houston, you're a go for landing, over. I did it then, go for landing. Roger, 1202, we copy it. We're go, same type, we're go. Okay, engine stop. We copy you down, Eagle. Beautiful view. The next generation of explorers should not ever give up. Shall we play a game? Right, so John. Yes? Pax East. Pax East. How did it go? Loved it. Cold. Freaking ridiculously cold. You know, I mean, it happened in early March, so in Boston. So it was it was actually two days before that blizzard hit was when uh, was when the show ended. But it was just really cold to stand in line. But otherwise, it, it's PAX East. It's my video game convention, man. I love it. You know, I go every year. I've gone the past seven or eight years. I only missed one because I was trying to be... You know, I was trying to be responsible. It costs a lot of money to go to PAX and get a hotel. I and, remember this. You know, so I tried to be responsible. Well, we just bought this house. So it's like, all right, you know, I'll skip PAX this year. And I was miserable. I was so miserable. My wife finally came and said, look, I don't care what it costs. From now on, you just go. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you saying, because it seemed like you came across as someone who'd just given up smoking, and they were really craving for a cigarette, you know. Was, oh, my God. Well, go. I also brought it on myself, because they live stream several of the, the panels that go on there. And, I, of course, I wasn't about to completely ignore it, so I was watching some of the panels, and I'm just like, I could be there right now. So I was like, that's it, that's it, I'm going. <laughs> So, um, for, for some people out there who might not know what PAX is, um, what, what's it all about? PAX stands for Penny Arcade Expo. If you are familiar with the Penny Arcade online comic and its sometimes controversial creators, that's what it all started with. They decided to have a video game convention, which more or less was the first of its kind. It was in Seattle. It just took off. And finally, people over here on the East Coast were saying, um, we want one. So they decided to do it in Boston. So PAX, now called PAX West, it used to be called PAX Prime, 
PAX West happens in Seattle Labor Day weekend, so that's early September. PAX East happens in Boston in either March or April, depends on how the Boston Convention Center schedules it. Then there's PAX South in San Antonio, which happens in January. Uh, there is a PAX Australia. I don't know exactly when that happens, but basically they, they space them all out. And they're all about video games, board games, card games. That's oh, cool. pretty much it. In fact, the board and card games has become so popular, they're creating PAX Unplugged, which is going to be occurring in Philadelphia. So, it, yeah, it's, that part alone has gotten so big that now they're having their own PAX convention that has nothing to do with video games, just card and board games. I love board games. Well, there you go. See, Nate, that means you got to come over here. And Philly is only a few hours east of me. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Because, um, yeah, there's, there's one that's just came come out recently, actually, that I, I want to get. It's... Um, it's based around an old TV show called Escape from Colditz. Uh, you can guess what that's about. And it's one of the most complicated board games ever created. <laughs> uh, and it came out in the 1970s, and they've just released it again. The exact reproduction of the 1970s board game. Nice. And I, and I want one. Um, <laughs> so get one! Yeah, I will. <laughs> So you went back to PAX last year because that was the one you went to after the break, wasn't it? That was yes. And you you met up with our uh, honorary crew member Richard Garrett. Oh, Richard Garrett. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I still get told by certain family members how much they hate me for that. <laughs> Especially when I produced the patch that he gave me. Well, you see, I wanted to sort that out because, I mean, you, you helped me out such a lot on here. So I got in touch with Richard's PA and said, look, is there any way that John can meet up with Richard when he's at the event? And he said, yeah, we can we can sort something out. And uh, it it just clicked, yep. basically. I didn't even really... I didn't even do anything because his panel was at 11, I think. Mm -hmm. The show floor opens at 10. I was just like, screw that. I'm not even hitting the show floor. I'm going right up to the waiting room. And I was like the fifth in line. So I was front row seat. And the guys were, there was, it was about, uh, they were talking about uh, MMOs and RPGs just in general. So he was on the panel and several other game designers were on the panel. And they said, yeah, you know, we're still waiting for people to come in. So it's going to be a few more minutes. And he just walked in and I just got up and started talking to him. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, hey, you know, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And it was just, it was. I was totally geeking out. Mm -hmm. If there's a guy's version of uh, you know Giddy Schoolgirl, that was me. <laughs> we need to get him back on the show actually because he's got a book to promote. Oh, okay. So I think... oh yeah yeah yeah. I have. I've actually yes, I did see that on Twitter a, a little while ago. Mm. So um, I might see if he wants to come on and promote it. Works for me. Yeah. Thanks. Used to talk to him again. <laughs> so this year's show, how was that for you? I still love that I went to several several of the panels as well. There wasn't a lot on the AAA gaming side that I was really interested in, which was surprising because it's like, okay, let, let's look at the AAA meaning the big budget, you know, from the major developers and so forth. You know, Doom is, is going to be getting another release. Um, Prey is going to be getting another release. So, you know, a lot of these big budget 
big publisher titles were there. And I'm just like, okay, so there's another Monsters Invading Earth, big deal. Uh, there's another Space Alien Horror, okay, big deal. Oh, there's another RPG, okay, big deal. You know, oh, there's another World War II, okay, big deal. That side of the arena was just, eh. I spent way more time in the uh, indie section. You know, just the, the smaller developers who, they, they might have their own following, but it was just just the, you know, the smaller developers, the more obscure titles. They have a tendency of being a little bit more creative, a little bit more artistic, and just something that you don't see from the big publishers because the big publishers like to stay with formulas that are safe. There's nothing wrong with that. They have their audiences. Not really what I'm after. Not anymore, anyway. If there was a new Assassin's Creed, I would have been in line, for sure. Right. Uh, in fact, in fact, they did have an Assassin's Creed panel that had the, uh, some of the people who were involved with the movie. And that was really cool. That, you know, that, that was a fun thing to, to watch, because they had some behind-the-scenes things, and you got to hear about the way that they made the movie. And I do love that stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it happened to be Assassin's Creed, that's just icing on the, on the cake. So that was a really cool panel. But I, mean, I spent most of my time around the indie games more than anything else. And there were a lot of, of neat titles there. It's just it's so hard to describe them because when you get to that area of the games, they're so artistic that they just have art directions that are really unlike what the big games are willing to do that you kind of have to see them to understand them. A lot of the smaller games are much more story-based, which I really like. And don't get me wrong, I have nothing against the first-person shooter every now and then, but it's just there weren't any major titles that really thrilled me this year and the ones that i really would have been interested in were already released by the time packs came out so there were no big announcements there were no big displays set up for it you know but then they also have a whole bunch of the knickknacks the t-shirts the trinkets there's just so much there for gamers so would you say then going around to the the, the indie side of things is is a lot more like the early days of, of video gaming you know with the Atari and the Activision games where the developers used to be more in, involved with the, the gamers oh absolutely and not just that but retro is really big there were a lot of games out there that had the old 8 and 16 bit format a lot of them wow which I mean that's that's fine it's definitely coming back you know with things like that uh, Nintendo mini console yeah which good luck finding it <laughs> but you know that's been a huge seller. Uh, Raspberry Pi doing retro things—that's been a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Great for me being a retro gamer. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah you would have loved the indie sections for sure. <laughs> you know, and there were a lot of things with VR there too. Uh, Oculus Rift had a huge VR section, uh, and PlayStation had a VR section as well. Mm -hmm. Intel had one, so that was cool. But it's also fun because for people like me who have been into gaming since the Atari 2600 was new mm -hmm. there, there are certain names that have become legend in the gaming space like Cliff Brzezinski oh. who made the Gears of War series he made the Unreal series the, the other guy is just a freaking video game legend and I was just walking by the, the area for his new game called Lawbreakers and there he was and I saw him go behind this one standee and I just went up to him and said hey uh, mind if I got a picture and he's like no no problem you know so I got a picture with him and I was like oh thank you very much and he's like hey no problem thanks for the thanks for your support you know just like hey we're all gamers we're all having fun I was like wow that that's really cool 
You know, so I got to get pictures of him. Uh, Carlos Ferro, who played the voice of Dom in Gears of War. He played the voice of Leonardo da Vinci in the Assassin's Creed series. He was there. Uh, got pictures with him. You know, and, and he would tell stories about uh, what he would do behind the scenes and how it all works and, and the roles that he's played. Uh, he, he was also actually in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. No right. He got slashed. <laughs> uh, that, that one episode where the crew of the Enterprise starts reverting back to more primitive creatures. Uh, yeah, I think I remember the one, yeah. Do you vaguely remember that one? Yeah. Yeah, well, he was the guy who was at the con and ended up getting his chest ripped open. Oh, right. <laughs> so he was a red shirt. Yeah, I was gonna, just going to say that, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, got to meet him. Uh, and it, it's, just, it's just cool to meet the designers uh, of the games that you play. Like, I play a lot of Warframe. And the developers had a conference there, and then they also had an after panel, you know, where everybody can just meet and greet and so forth. So I got to talk with a lot of them there, and it's just, it's a lot of fun to just be able to meet and talk with these people. Uh, last year, I was able to get a picture with uh, Suda51, who, he's made a bunch of video games like um, Bayonetta, and he goes for kind of the quirkier games. He's Japanese. But you know he was there and he was taking pictures and signing autographs with everyone. I met uh, Ron Gilbert, who did like the old Monkey Island series. All right, yeah, yeah. He's got a new game coming out called Thimbleweed Park, so he wasn't there unfortunately. But last year, I actually remember back in the day of uh, like the floppy disks and so forth, where they had to have some kind of copy protection. Mm -hmm. And what they did with Monkey Island was they had a decoder wheel. Oh, uh, yeah. So at certain points of the game, you had to use the decoder wheel to put in the proper code so that you can continue playing the game. I still have the decoder wheel and the five and a quarter inch discs, <laughs> you know, and the manual and so forth. I knew he was going to be there last year, so I brought the decoder wheel and the instruction manual and pulled them out of the of, of the thing that I was carrying him in. And he just looked at him like, oh, my God, wow. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, he signed them and, and autographed them. And I could tell just by the look on his face, he did not expect to see those. <laughs> so that was cool. And it's just neat to be able to talk with the developers like that. And, you know, a lot of them will just, they will take time and talk to you. Which is really good. Um, and th this is why I like the um, the smaller Comic-Cons, because at the, the big ones, people do not have time to talk to you because they've got thousands of autographs to sign and all this kind of thing and they don't have much time for you but you yeah. go to the smaller one you can get good quality time with some of these people well really. the one that really impressed me one, one of the things that the, some of the vendors do or some of the developers do is they take part in what's called penny arcade mm -hmm. where they're basically little pins that get sold yeah. regarding their game they're kind of stylistic and so forth but for some reason a lot of PAX goers love exchanging pins and exchanging lanyards it's, it's happening it's everywhere. a thing yeah it, uh, and yeah. you can thank disney for that but i guess <laughs> but you know, so one of the things that you can do is you can purchase at various developers these little penny arcade pins you know which i'm assuming that some of the cost goes back to the developers as well mm -hmm. but then you know it's just that that thing for exchanging pins and so forth one, one of the games i used to play a lot is uh, torchlight and its sequel torchlight 2 which is from a, a company called Runic Games. Well, they've got a new game coming out called Hob, which is actually really fun. You should look into it if you're into uh, platformers. But maybe five years ago, when they were at PAX for Torchlight 2, I ended up getting one of those, you know, uh, 
canvas bags sort oh, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it had, it had the torchlight, too, on the side and so forth. It's still in good shape, and I knew I'd be getting stuff, so I brought it with me. And I actually went up to them, and I showed it to them, and they were like, oh my god, that is so cool! And all the stuff that I would have normally gotten for waiting in line to play the game, they were just like, here, just take it. That is so cool. Because they were just <laughs> amazed to see that I still had this canvas bag. Well, that was just like two of the people who were on the team. On Sunday, that's when I try to do the demos, because the lines are a lot smaller. Friday's okay. Saturday is just good luck getting a demo. Sunday is when the lines are a lot smaller. So, I was in line. One of the other developers came up because I still had the bag with me he came up to me and said oh wow you came back so apparently the whole dev team had found out that this guy came up the day before with this torchlight 2 bag <laughs> I was just like yeah yeah you know still got it and I'm just waiting in line and he's just saying oh well that's awesome you know thanks for, for bringing that with you he walked off a few minutes later he comes back and says you know we wanted to just thank you for your loyalty to us and they gave me whatever they had for their penny arcade thing for free oh wow you know, we, we just want to thank you for your loyalty uh, we, we really appreciate that so just because of the fact that i'm i'm obviously a longtime fan of their studio they decided to do something that you know was otherwise would have cost me something so clearly it was a little bit of a financial hit to them but just the fact that they were willing to do that for no reason other than i still had a canvas tote bag from one of their previous games <laughs> I was like, that is cool that they're willing to show that kind of appreciation. It's given a little bit back to the people that made them the money. You know, it's it's, it's a, yeah. ni- a nice thing to do. That's another reason why I like hanging around the indie section because you get to do that stuff. I can see the reason why you do it, as you say, in the main halls. Is sometimes it's just it's a minefield. <laughs> so oh, yeah, all all conventions, it's the same <laughs> on that side of things. And, of course, you know, being gaming, there were a lot of hardware vendors there as well. MSI mm-hmm. was there. Logitech was there. Uh, Steel Series was there. I'm trying to think of who the other... Uh, HyperX was there. So uh, these names mean something to people who build their own PCs for gaming purposes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so they're selling motherboards and they're showing off a bunch of case mods. I saw one that looks like a Donkey Kong arcade machine. Wow. And everything was liquid-cooled inside of it, so you've got these red tubes going around, these blue tubes going around, you know, with, with the Donkey Kong label on the outside. It was just so cool to look at. It's on my Facebook page. You know, you're, you're welcome to use it for the show. And they had a bunch of really cool-looking cases over there, and, and mods, you know, so it, it's also good for that sort of thing. But... So if you love the tabletop and the card games, man, you would just go nuts there. I should look up the size of the Boston Convention Center. It's huge. It's absolutely massive. And when I first started going there, about a half of it was dedicated to video games. About a quarter of it was dedicated to the board and card games. And the other quarter was like the food court, empty tables, do what you want. Little by little, the card and the board games have been taking that space up. This year, basically the entire floor was taken to the point that the card games and the board games actually started to encroach a little bit on the video game territory. The, the card and board game area is huge. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm just I'm not into that. I'm just completely not into that. But you could see things like the people who build the Warhammer kind of tables for the little for the mini figurines. Yeah, yeah. So they've got all these channels in there where you can store your figurines and store your your uh, like world 
3D plot squares and so forth, whatever you want to call them. And, of course, brand of the tables are like $15,000, mm-hmm. so I'll never own one in my life. But still, to be able to look at that stuff and think, wow, I have no use for that, but that is gorgeous. Of course, there was there were retro people there, you know, trying to sell the older cartridges, the older consoles, that sort of thing. But really, it's it, anyone. And that's just the main floor. You go to the outside area, they've got three separate floors of nothing but convention rooms and things like that. So they'll have concerts at night. The show floor closes at 6, but PAX in and of itself doesn't close until 2 a.m. Wow. And they'll have concerts going on. They'll have you know, other kinds of panels going on where they talk about different things. It's just, there's so much to do if you're a gamer. And it's just, it's it's a lot of fun. Sounds it. Absolutely sounds it. This is TGP Nominal. One game is um, very dear to my heart, which is Toe Jam and Earl. I did see, they did actually have that there. That was over in the kind of indie section. And somebody was cosplaying as, who's the big blob thing? That's Earl. That's Earl. Yeah. Okay, so they actually had somebody there in an Earl costume. They, they did have a toe jam there, but it was more like just a standee. Yeah, I think I saw Just because saw that. that's a weird character. <laughs> Good luck cosplaying that one. Spindly so, with three legs, yeah. Yeah, they did see that. I think I have a picture of that one up on Facebook that you could use if you want. Cool. The new game is um, is kind of like a cross between the original toe jam and Earl and the sequel, which was called Panic and Funkatron. Apparently, when they brought out the original version, which is on a kind of a 3D landscape kind of set up um, they had some complaints that it wasn't a platformer. Oh that's stupid Ratchet and Clank is a platformer and that's entirely in 3D space. Yeah um, so the sequel they actually brought out as a, a 2D platformer but it worked it was it was more like a comic book sure. but they decided to bring back aspects of that but make it into a to, to 3D play which is awesome and, and, and now they've brought it to a brand new audience because it's on most of the, the platforms including um, the new Nintendo Switch um, right. so that, that's pretty cool I, I need to have a, have a look at it to be honest I've seen I've seen some footage of it on YouTube but um, yeah, I haven't had to go on it myself yet so I need to do that I, I do still play the game uh, the original. Well, have, have you ever heard of uh, good old games? Uh, no. GOG.com. It's a Polish. It, it, it's the company that makes the Witcher series. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's the same company. And it's GOG.com. They are not sponsors of this show. I'm just simply saying this. Uh, and what they've done is they take a lot. Now, granted, that was what, uh, Sega? No. Yeah, was. Tojamino was Sega. Yeah. So it wouldn't be there. But if you go for some of the older PC games, Mm -hmm. what they do is they actually will go and they will license the game from the studio. If need be, they will go into the binary code and crack it, and then they'll redistribute it with a DOS emulator so that you can play it on your modern system. Oh, wow. They've got a whole bunch. Like even the old LucasArts point-and-click games, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, you know, 
you try running that on a modern system, it's just going to choke. You need a DOS emulator. Yeah. And that's how they sell it. And they sell it for like seven, eight bucks, depending on the game. Some games you can get for 99 cents. I mean, I've got, um, what emulators have I got on my system? I've got, um, in the UK, we called them Mega Drives, but in the States, yeah. it was the Genesis. Yeah. Um, I've got um, a SNES emulator, an Atari 2600 emulator, and a ZX Spectrum, Sinclair ZX Spectrum emulator as well. Now, Sinclair was a lot bigger over there than it was over here. Oh, it was huge. A lot bigger. Um, Commodore 64 was the thing over that, here. That's it. Over here, uh, well, the, the Commodore 64 was like the enemy. Um ah. <laughs> <laughs> even, even though the colors and, and everything were better on the, the Commodore 64. Damn straight. I still prefer my Specky. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my C64 any day. Loved it. Loved that machine. Oh, my God. Oh, and- I even I even had a guy that I know, because I bought the Commodore 128 as well, and he actually went in and he, he hacked the thing because he added a second sound chip. Mm-hmm. That was the thing with the Commodore. It was it was super popular because it had its own dedicated sound chip yeah. that could play three notes at a time, which in the day was just revolutionary. Back when you had to just... The- from most other computer systems so you could actually play three synthesized notes at a time and he hacked this thing for me soldered on a second chip with a different hardware address so that if you use the right software with it you could actually have six voice stereo wow it was amazing to listen to but man oh yeah i had the uh, multiple commodore drives i had those things that I, that i hacked those myself so that cause they were, those were actually SCSI devices, which to those of you in IT, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. But you, like, so you could actually change the device number on the fly. So if a game needed a 1541 and you had the 1571 set up as the primary, it's like, okay, let me just, I just hit these switches, reboot the drives, and now they're all changed. I, mean, I went nuts with that stuff. So much fun. There's a, a company that's um, doing things for the Spectrum. It's called the Spectrum Next, and it's a modern Spectrum computer where, uh, you know, the, the the old school Spectrum as well as some of the, the, the Commodores and that the they used cassette tape to, um, to play the software. At the uh, beginning. At the beginning, yeah. This computer has actually got an SD drive in it, so you can put SD cards inside of it. Uh, that's actually a nice looking keyboard. Mm. That's pretty slick looking. Yeah. Um, well, as soon as I saw that, I was like, <gasps> oh, yeah, I've got to get one of these. <laughs> nice. Well, actually, the, the, whoever owned the license to Commodore at the time, they did the exact same thing where they came out with it was obviously a Commodore 64 emulator, but they built it inside of a Commodore 64 keyboard, but the internals were actually an, an uh, Intel Atom chipset yeah so you'd boot it up and it would come up with the commodore 64 screen and and all that except it was running as an emulator on an intel atom chip but it was the commodore 64 keyboard i was like that is so freaking awesome and then i looked at the price and said no sadly although now now this is something that is closer to you near and dear here Mm -hmm. um so i'm making a little bit of a segue here i am leaning more and more and more to getting a Raspberry Pi All right. and throwing an emulator on it. Mm-hmm. Simply because it's really becoming slightly annoying to try to find one of those genuine Nintendo mini consoles. Yeah. So 
That, however, leads me into, it'd be kind of cool to still have it look like an NES console. So I'm considering 3D printing now. All right, cool. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> How is yours coming along? Are you done yet? No, I, I, I've only just, within the last two or three weeks, received the last part for the modification that had to be done on it. Um, so now I know I have all the parts, right? Oh, nice. So you are done, basically. Well, well, I, well with the hardware. Yeah, I just need to get it together. It shouldn't take me too long. Uh, to get it going, but the, the the amount of stuff that they gave um, the the subscribers for the inconvenience of having to wait um, to get this stuff together, I don't know how many reels of filament they sent me. Um, oh, nice! Quite a few, um, a load of finishing tools, um, kind of like uh, heating tools to finish things off, mm-hmm. and um, uh, chisels and all kinds of bits and pieces. It's just stuff that I would have had to have paid out extra for anyway. So it was really mm-hmm. nice for them to send it across. It was almost like, oh well, well you don't want to annoy you because you've already paid out quite a bit of money on this thing. <laughs> so yeah, which was really nice of them. That's cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm finally. I've been wanting a 3D printer for a long time, mm-hmm. and I found out that my younger daughter she's only 10 years old and she recently went to a science fair at school yeah and she's really intrigued by what she saw so i might be able to direct my youngest into the science realm which i think is freaking awesome but even at that just to have a 3d printer so that they could build their own things and just learn about doing all of that yeah that right there would be cool but then i've got my own reasons you know build my own little mini nes case and so forth so i have been looking at them over here some of them go from really cheap to really expensive seen some of the things you can do with the expensive ones yeah (laughs) but i also know what the expensive ones would do to my wallet (laughs) but then you also get the ones where they've got their own proprietary spools Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, really? So then you're going to, yeah, you're, you're a low price, but then you're going to sock me on these proprietary cartridges for the for the plastic? Really? I was, you know, um, don't we already get that crap from, from regular printers? Yeah. I mean, I was watching a, a, a video the other day about it, it can actually heat up to a certain degree that they can actually work with glass. Oh, wow. And, yeah, yeah, that's not surprising, actually. And it was... Some of the things they were creating out of this glass was just amazing sculptures and things. It was just... I love the ones where they 3D print steel. Yeah. That's mind-blowing. There's no limitation to it now. I mean, you can yeah. work with any material whatsoever. Uh, I mean, even from, from clothing to food to... Um, to, to, to human... Parts. Uh, to say that we three D print food—that's just that—that's just kind of awkward. <laughs> I know what you mean by that, but it's just like that—that that just no, you're just baking. <laughs> well, they, they actually make um, things out of sugar. Um, they, they, they actually make uh, things for cakes, uh, for you know, cake decoration, date right. decorating, and things like that. Oh, okay, so yeah, can, I can see so that. You can I can imagine see that. the intricate um, details that you can put onto a cake using that technology it's amazing yeah yeah but yeah I'm, I'm looking and there's no reason raspberry pies are so freaking cheap they are even if you don't really know what to do with it if you have any desire to even want to use one just to play with it they're what 
not even 50 bucks. 30, I think it's 35 bucks for a basic Raspberry Pi 3. Well, a friend of mine over in Australia, he actually uses a Raspberry Pi to control different things in his household, like uh, oh, yeah. closing the blinds, doing the lighting, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Oh, no, no, not saying that it can't do anything. It can do just about anything. But unless you know what you want to do with it, it's kind of hard to want to get one. But is you know, it- I guess because I have so many other PCs, because from all of my years of upgrading, mm-hmm. I've got so many other PCs and parts that it's like, well, I have no idea what I'd want to do with that. So, but, you know, with the Raspberry Pi... Speaking of what you said, I did see a video the other day of somebody who set up a Raspberry Pi to control, you know, the whole smart house thing using various songs from Zelda. <laughs> from from various ocarina songs from Zelda. We'll do the, the different things in his house. <laughs> That's dedication. Stuff like the smart mirrors, where you get like an old LCD panel, put it behind a regular mirror, and have it display the weather and all of that right there in the mirror I, w- yeah. I wouldn't mind doing something like that I've seen something similar to that here um, a lot of um, pubs in the UK are in old buildings yeah. and to have like flat screen TVs and things would make the building look weird yeah so I've seen some really nice looking frames you know really antique looking frames with a mirror in it and lo and behold it's a screen behind it mm-hmm. But it looks the part. It really does look. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is something else I was strongly considering doing just because. Yeah. I mean, the monitors are cheap enough. You can buy a basic one, tear it apart, and use it. Uh, uh, what you're talking about, Raspberry Pi, there's a, there's a story out there uh, about a, uh, a machine called the Raspberry Turk. Um, that's T-U-R-K. Oh, okay. I know what the old Mechanical Turk was. Yeah. Is this related? Well, this is a machine that actually plays chess using a Raspberry Pi. Oh, okay. uses an arm to play chess. A robotic arm. And it's oh, yeah. a really impressive kit, and it runs entirely in Python on a, on a Raspberry Pi. Huh. So, uh, yeah, quite an impressive thing. There's, there's a few videos out there of it. I'll have to put one in the, um, the show notes because it is impressive to, to watch. But, yeah, the, the original Turk was 18th century, mm-hmm. uh, a chess-playing robot. But So it's very loosely based on this. But, um, yeah, it, it very quickly identifies the pieces on the board, picks them up, moves them along, and plays actual real-world game of chess using a Raspberry nice. Pi. Amazing piece of kit. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get a video of it and put it on the, on the show notes so people can have a look at that. But uh, that kind of goes in with what we were talking about there. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that there is a, a free mag... Well, it's free to download called Magpie. That's the official magazine for the Raspberry Pi. Ah, right, okay. So, obviously, Magpie, I'm sure you're familiar with the bird anyway. Mm-hmm. So, oh, okay, well, the magazine's based in the UK. You go to their website and things are in British pounds. Yeah, but it, it's just raspberrypi.org slash magpie, P-I, obviously. Yeah. And it's the magazine, and you can download it. You, know, you could buy it to support them. This month's issue is all about uh, retro gaming. So that's why I was finally like, you know what? That probably could be a lot of fun to do. And it would be, finally, my excuse to get a Raspberry Pi. And apparently it's a very easy thing to work around as well, because from friends who've, who've got them, it, it reminds them of the old days of when it used to be called programming, not coding. <laughs> 
and bugs me that does <laughs> <laughs> what's the matter with the word programming too many syllables <laughs> I've got people that are involved in coding clubs for kids and they will be going, I'll tell you why. I, either way works for me. Because <laughs> you're programming it with code. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> when I first heard the term coding, I thought it was a new language. Okay. So <laughs> I, I looked into it and went, just a minute. <laughs> this isn't new. Nice. <laughs> I've got a, a story here about a guy that we've, we've mentioned one of his machines already, the ZX Spectrum, Sir Clive Sinclair, who's the guy who invented it. And he's, the guy was a genius. He's, well, he is a genius because he's a member of Mensa. That'll do it. <laughs> now, he was obsessed with building an electric vehicle. It actually made him bankrupt because it didn't sell very well. But um, it's a three-wheeled vehicle called a Sinclair C5. And it's one of these vehicles that you can pedal it as well to charge it up a bit and there's obviously a battery in the back but the downfall of the vehicle was that it was so low to the ground that any high-sided vehicle couldn't see it if it was on the road which pretty dangerous yeah um, why would you do that what they were doing was having a huge flag on a huge pole so this flag used to be up by uh 
truck's windows, you know, next <laughs> oh, there's something down there. Yeah, there's no way I would have gone on the road <laughs> in one of these things. No, not at all. Uh, they're uh, cool looking. I'll give them that. They're they're definitely cool looking. It is but definitely, no, definitely 80s in design. though, looking at that thing. It, oh yeah, I mean that thing could have been on you know any cheesy 80s sci-fi movie. Yeah, I can. Just, it's a kind of Tron looking a little bit. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> so yeah, he gave up the ghost on that and uh, went bankrupt, and he actually sold the rights of most of his stuff over to Alan Sugar or Lord Sugar as he is nowadays who is the owner of Amstrad computers Um, so Sinclair computers were owned by Amstrad at that time Alan Sugar Lord Sugar is now the host of the UK version of The Apprentice ew and he doesn't get on very well with a certain person over on your side anyway (laughs) 30 years down the line, and Sir Clark Sinclair's nephew, Grant Sinclair, has created his own version of the C5, a modern version of it, called the Iris E-Trike. It's a, it's a streamlined shape based on aerodynamic helmets used in track cycling, so you can imagine the, the kind of shape it is. Uh, oh my god. Wow, now that looks like something out of Tron. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 750 plus watt mid-drive motor on it, uh, and it's capable of producing speeds in excess of 30 miles an hour. So it's it's made for city traffic, really. Sure. It says the lithium-ion battery pack promises a range of up to 50 kilometres for a one-hour charge. Total weight, including battery and charger, is 55 kilos, so it's not that heavy at all. Uh, It's got a 50-litre lockable rear compartment, which could be used by paramedics to carry equipment around cities and things or deliver food and stuff for um, pizza guys and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. It's got uh, a combination of vents and charcoal filters on board that deliver a fresh supply of air to the cabin. Uh, There's a smartphone dock that can be linked to a rear camera and gives GPS support and music playback, speed, distance, battery charge and power on a special LCD screen that it's got on there. Now, according to their website, it's just under £3,500. Honestly, that's cheaper than I expected it to be. Uh, and it can be reserved for £99 with delivery to be slated to commerce in the last quarter of 2017. So they're in production. I would drive one of those. They look really cool. But I mean, even you know, just for going around town, nothing fancy. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely use one of those. See, that that was, is really cool looking. That was the other downfall to the original C5 is that it didn't have a cover. Right. <laughs> They, they gave you this special kind of, um, you know, like those wetsuity type things that they have when you're on a, uh, a canoe. Similar kind of thing that fits over the hole in the thing and you zip it up, basically, uh, which will make you look an idiot while you're driving around. But um, at least with this, you've got a inside a vehicle. But yeah, it does look a futuristic piece of kit. $5,000 after conversion of what they have in their site. Mm-hmm. And you can customize it. I didn't know that. Well, but they've got a customized option on the screen. Maybe, uh, let's see, uh, add one to four color custom skin at the cost of 800 pounds. I would not mind driving one of those. So I'd love to see what they'd have to go through when it comes to the uh, Department of Transportation over here. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they can say this is classified as an electronic bicycle, it would probably be in the same category as like uh, mopeds and mini bikes over here. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, not exactly a smart car. You, you oh, God, those, no. You have those in the States, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Oh, believe me. I wouldn't mind having a smart car until I saw the price. Yeah, then I realized who their parent company is, and I thought, oh, well, that kind of explains that. Yeah. Uh, well, it is a, it's a hybrid of... Um, uh, Mercedes and Swatch watches. No, I remember we first saw those. We were in Madrid, mm-hmm. uh, 2004, I think. And that's where we first saw smart cars. I was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. Because th- this is America. We don't have little teeny cars like that. Well, uh, at the time, anyway. Well, they do uh, like, a four-seater version of it now. Oh, they do. They do. It's still tiny. And then I was like, that is so cool. I want one of those. And then I found out they were coming over here. I was like, sweet. And then I saw the price and I was like, um, yeah, my Ford Focus costs less than that. It's bigger <laughs> and it gets better fuel mileage. Yeah. Problem here. The one thing I used to like about it when the original ones came out is that they had interchangeable panels. You know, like you used to have the interchangeable cases on the old Nokia phones. Uh-huh. You could do the same thing with your car. You could change the color scheme and patterns and things like oh, nice. So whatever the mood you were in, you could change the color of it. That's a little Iris e-trike. 5000 bucks. If I had the disposable funds and I knew it could pass Department of Transportation specs, I would. That is actually really cool. And for just going down to the grocery store a few miles away, that would be perfect. i just like to see it succeed, get the, um, the Sinclair name going again. That'd be really nice. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Showing a little bit of pride there, Mark. <laughs> well, yeah, he's always, always been known into the, the spectrum fraternity as Uncle Clive. <laughs> we called it the Specky. That was the name of the machine. And it was Uncle Clive Specky. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. You're funny. <laughs> Now, next thing I wanted to talk about was the Mobile World Congress, or the MWC. (laughs) Don't start. It's supposed to move around from country to country, but for the last, I think, two or three years, it's it's always been in Barcelona, because the venue's ideal for what they need. The Mobile World Congress has been a launch platform for many of... uh, the big smartphones over the years um, and also given us a, a range of tablets and smartwatches and other connected devices in recent years it's just like any other convention really <laughs> right but uh, it just specializes in mobile phones now in brief here are some of the the major phones that were launched this year's event you've got the the blackberry key one the lg6 the moto g5 the nokia 5 the nokia 6 the new nokia 3310 uh, a, a whole range of sony xperia stuff and the the huawei p10 and p10 plus one thing you might have noticed from that list was a lack of Samsung. They are at the event, but they're not expecting to announce anything from the Samsung Galaxy S8 because they have their own event coming later this week, actually, mm. which I'm looking forward to because it might be my next phone. <laughs> I, I did catch the Nokia 3310. That's uh, funny. It is. That, it's that, that little thing is coming back. It's a, it's a little bit different than the original. That They've redesigned it slightly. Um, they've put a colour screen on it. Don't expect anything spectacular from it. It's not oh, no, a no, smartphone no. by any shape of things. I mean, 
Yeah, you can make calls, do text, play Snake. I think it's got a camera on the back as well, which the original 3310 didn't have. Because if I remember rightly, to get a camera on the back of the old Nokias, you had to get the i version of those models. It was a like the 3310i had a had a camera on the back. It's um yeah, a strange little phone, but it, ideal if that's all you want to do is make phone calls and even at that though, it's just what's the market older people <laughs> it, it has to be because i can't imagine uh, i can't imagine imagine those younger kids you know dang whippersnappers having to do the uh, you know press it three times for one letter and two times for another i can't see them doing that uh apparently from what i was reading here it uses legacy 2g networks right. is that true yeah it's not even 3g so well there are some carriers over here that don't even do 2g anymore most of the carriers over here have gone to lte that's going to be useless in a lot of parts of america I d- it makes no sense Unless they do make a 3G version of it for the American market. Granted, you're not going to be using this for high-speed internet connection and web browsing and so forth. Mm -hmm. But you're still going to want something more reliable and all of the major carriers over here have been have been switching over to LTE. Because I think AT&T completely got rid of their 2G. That's a bizarre selection to make there. Uh, unless they're trying to sell these, like, super cheap. The, the strange thing about Nokia is that... Well, you know Nokia were bought out by Microsoft. Right, which makes it even weirder. But they've actually sold the brand the Nokia brand to a Finnish company, strangely. <laughs> so it's gone back round in circles. Oh, so the company making this is just a licensee. Yeah. So basically, oh. Nokia will receive royalties from the sales of the phones. I mean, that's fine, but it's just, wow, a 2G connectivity? I don't know, maybe other parts of the world still do 2G, and that's just the way it is. That's not going to do well over here at all. The, um, the, the the company is actually called HMD Global, uh, and they're based in Helsinki, and they're investing $500 million over the next three years in marketing devices that will run Google's Android operating system, which is where they went wrong in the first place, because... Um, Nokia came up with their own operating system to start with, that Symbian uh, Uh operating system, which was lousy. Oh, yeah. It really was bad. And then they started developing the Windows phones, and then that's when Microsoft bought them out. So that was the the nail in the coffin for the original Nokia that they didn't embrace Android. Um, Even BlackBerry's done that, for crying out loud. Yeah, they've developed three new phones... Uh, which have been revealed at the show. So you've got um, the uh, original names, Nokia 3, Nokia 5, and Nokia 6. Now, they are budget handsets. All all the new phones run Android, and rather than altering or adding to Google's platform, Nokia are keeping it pure and simple. There's no no preloaded bloatware. There's no Mm -hmm. duplication or additional extra services. It's just Android Nougat uh, through and through, as you might find on the Nexus or the Pixel handset. 
which is quite nice. These uh, devices are designed to appeal to the huge section of the market that's buying phones in the $100 to the $350 segment, dominated by devices like the Moto G series, and um, the specs step down accordingly as you move through the phones, mm-hmm. from the 5.5-inch uh, Nokia 6 down to, to 5.2 inches and then finally to a 5 inch for the Nokia 3. The specs drop accordingly with mid-range Qualcomm Snapdragon 430 chipsets in the 6 and 5 handsets but drop into a MediaTek 6737 for the Nokia 3. They all start with a solid block of aluminium or uh, aluminium as you guys like to call it. Um, Stop. <laughs> Mr. ZX. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) machined out to form the handsets the Nokia 6 and the Nokia 5 have a full metal body offering high quality of build which the Nokia 3 the baby of the family keeps that metal core but puts a polycarbonate shell on the back of it and the Nokia 6, 5 and 3 will be launching in the second quarter but local pricing and availability is still yet to be confirmed. So they don't sound too bad. I mean, uh, it, it's not a bad camera that they've got on them. It's not like the, the old Nokias that had the... Well, what was the lenses they used to have on the the Carl Zeiss? Probably. Yeah, it had uh, Carl Zeiss opticals on them. Uh, so it's a bit more basic, but I think the pricing on them is going to be quite cheap, but they'll, they'll be great. A, a cheap Android phone be nice. I've always liked Nokia until they didn't go over to Android. Checking on the 3310. Anybody who lives in the USA and Canada, don't even bother. Because right now, the only two providers who provide 2G GSM are AT&T and T-Mobile. Neither of them support the frequencies that are used with with, uh, the 3310. Plus, both of them are expecting to shut their 2G networks down in the coming years. And Canada is also out of luck because none of the carriers support the 900 megahertz and 1.8 gigahertz standards. The 3310, nostalgic as it might be, it's absolutely pointless in the U.S. and Canada right now. Unless they come out with a different chipset. Who knows why? Maybe battery life? Because, yeah, when you get to the newer standards, the faster standards, they're going to eat up the battery more. But that's the only thing I can guess as to why they're sticking it with 2G. Because it's, yeah, it, it's useless in North America. Weird. That is very weird. Because I know a lot of people here who used to love that thing. Yeah, I mean, my favorite Nokia phone, and I've still got it, it's my full back in case anything happens to any of my other phones, uh, N95. I love the Nokia N95. Yes, it's a button phone. It was Nokia's first proper smartphone. Wi-Fi capability, GPS, really good music player on it, and it's even got stereo speakers on it. So, uh, and the camera was pretty good. It was the first smartphone to have a five megapixel camera with the Carl Zeiss lens on it. Yeah, it was it was a nice little camera. It's a bit dated now, but you know, if if anything happens to me, other phones, I've got it as a backup. It was great mm-hmm. for that. What's next? Is Motorola going to come out with the StarTac again, <laughs> or the Razer, the old school Razer? Yeah. Now, we were talking about BlackBerry just then. Now, BlackBerry have stopped making their own phones and has handed the license to a company called TCL, who who, who own Alcatel. 
Now, they have brought out a new phone called the BlackBerry Key One, uh, and it offers the touch and type arrangement, giving you full Android experience through its display paired with a traditional BlackBerry-style keyboard. It's not bad. It's um, 2 gigahertz octa-core uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon 65 processor. It's not a bad processor in there. 3 gigabytes of RAM... 32 gigabytes of internal storage that can be expanded up to 2,000 gigs uh, via a micro SD card. Now, I've never seen these terabyte um, SD cards. Uh, terabyte? Yeah. Well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but really? Are we up to that? I, the last I saw was 256 gig. Apparently so. Uh, unless they're saying that it will support it. I mean, that's pretty much expected if you're going to use the fat file system they're making it seem impressive that's pretty much not (laughs) (laughs) if you support fat file system you support a two terabyte system yeah got a 12 megapixel primary camera on the rear and an 8 megapixel front shooter for selfies which is i think that's what my lg g4's got if i remember right runs Android 7.1 and it's powered by a 3505 milliamp non-removable battery. That's quite powerful. That makes it quite a heavy phone. Maybe it's just me. I'm getting tired of this non-recharge or non-replaceable battery stuff. Mm, that's going to be everywhere now though. That's the only reason why I didn't get the uh, Galaxy S6. I uh, went for the LG G4 mainly because there was only internal memory and internal battery as well. Whereas the yeah. LG you can swap around and stuff which I prefer. I understand a lot of phones. You can break them open carefully and replace them but we shouldn't have to do that most people are just going to buy a new phone it's like really that's probably the reason why they do it Mm, i've got a 24 month contract on my phone and so every two years i get a new phone (laughs) yeah so i'm always thinking ahead this is why i'm thinking yeah the galaxy s8 might be my next phone because my contract runs out in September. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess I'm one of those people. All of my, like my past three or four phones have all been Google Nexus. All right. So I, I just, I like the ability like, oh, I need to reinstall the OS. <laughs> done. Don't have to play any games with it. Just download the images from Google and <laughs> done. Mm-hmm. I might actually consider getting a cheaper phone because I'm going to be going up to Canada in a few months. And I'm sure we've all heard stories about the Border Patrol and uh, phones and electronic devices. Yeah. We, we try not to get political here, so I'm not going to go there. Mm-hmm. Chances are the stuff I'd have to say, they would not let me back into the country anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, needs to say, I don't li- really like those policies. But <laughs> So I, I might just buy like a cheap burner phone, as they call it. No, that's not a terroristic threat. It's called a burner phone, okay, folks? <laughs> just a cheap throwaway phone, bring that up to Canada with me. Yeah, that's why I always have a, a backup anyway, just in case something happens, you never know. This is TGP Nominal. Well, i got a, another story here about Amazon, actually. Now, the, the Amazon Go store is uh, a cashier-free convenience store. And it was supposed to open to the public earlier this year, actually. Uh, but apparently some big technology issues have put the launch on hold. 
According to the, the Wall Street Journal, Amazon Go stores currently only function if there are fewer than 20 shoppers inside the store. Any more than that, and the Amazon's shopkeeper tracking technology breaks down as people become too difficult to follow. Nice. Amazon is reportedly having trouble tracking products that are moved from their proper spot on the shelf. And you know what people are like when they go to the supermarket. They'll get something, oh, "Oh, I don't want that anymore. And they'll just put it wherever they feel like putting it back. Uh The computer system can't cope. (laughs) It's it's called scalability. You would think that a company that deals with massive scalable back-engine services would be able to do this. (laughs) Oh well. But this is the thing I is- just I never understood really how that was supposed to work anyway. I'm assuming that everything is like RFID tagged or something. Yeah. I pretty much I mean I think as you take it off the shelf, it scans it. But it doesn't help if somebody's put something back in the wrong place or what uh, I mean right. I, I don't think any computer can actually deal with human logic. And, and human nature. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that they're trying this kind of stuff because th- this could be the future for all we know. I don't get it. I personally don't like it. I, d- I do not use the self-service cash registers at the supermarket. I refuse to use them. Really? Yeah. On the principle that one day it's going to take people's jobs. That's the way I look at it. Same in the bank. I'd rather queue and go to the window than use the self-service till. Honestly, well, maybe, but, I mean, a lot of times those self-service things, people who use those generally are not ones who have, like, full cartloads of stuff. You still go to the belt and the cashier and, and stuff to do that. But if you've only you run in for three or four items, I'll go to the self-service. You know, it's just, why should I bother taking up space in line? Mm. You know, with someone who's already, or with people who are going to have a whole bunch of groceries, when I can just go, because, you know, those self service areas are not meant for people with cartloads of stuff. Uh, in one of the stores here, I've seen one that is specially made for taking shopping carts rather than just a basket, you know? Uh, I'm sure it can be done, but I don't know. I. I don't really see that happening because you're always going to have to have someone around if there's a problem, you know, things of that nature. And you're just going to have people, well, like you, who would rather have a person there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm being short-sighted. I don't see it completely taking out jobs, but I can see it being a convenience for someone who just wants, just wants to get in and out. Oh, yeah, sure. And, you know, and which is also makes it more convenient to people who are going to end up waiting in line because they're, they've got so much. And a lot of these stores now are doing these, like, uh, what, what do you, I don't know if you call them the same thing, click and collect. We uh, order online, uh, it'll be at your local store within the next hour. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we, we have, I haven't seen it with groceries, but I mean, some of the local chains around here will do that you can buy it online and they'll deliver it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also see that uh, Amazon did its first... Um, what they call the uh, their drone delivery, their first one in the states. Anyway, they did theirs in, in the week. Wait, 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 it, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait! It happened in the states. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. And that wasn't a test run. Uh, well, I said it was a proper delivery, but we have had a proper delivery here. We had one in December. Well, no, my only concern is because the FCC, you know, the Federal Communications Commission, mm-hmm. have a tendency to be. Or, uh, or I guess, well, actually, I guess this probably falls under the jurisdiction of the FAA. 
uh, Federal Aviation Administration, yeah. that they have a tendency of being really, really anal when it comes to things like that. That's why Amazon did all of their testing outside the U.S. Because they figured they were going to get so much regulatory problems here, which would not have been unexpected. They actually did a delivery here? It could have been a test, but uh, the headline of it was, is it a bird, is it a plane? No, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. Amazon successfully lands its first drone delivery on U.S. soil. You know, I'll I'll tell you right now, that's not going to fly in a city, though. I can't see it doing it in rural areas, to be honest with you, because somebody's going to shoot one of them things down. (laughs) Chances are it's going to end up with federal charges. Some people have already done that, thinking that it was spying on their house and they've gotten in uh they've gotten some jail time for it mm-hmm. or get on the same frequency as it and take control of it as it comes near the area there's that okay no this was this was at a at an invite only mars conference in california ah so it wasn't a proper delivery then no okay i was about to say whoa but let's see. While the order was planned ahead, the delivery reportedly took place without any intervention from humans. But yeah, this was definitely just a demonstration. Right. Okay. I was about to say, I can't believe that the FAA would have approved this. Because that would have been huge news. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I like the idea of Amazon being able to do that. And I think UPS has also tried it, but they've had some interesting failures. Mm-hmm. In it, but... Uh, you know, this, this whole instant gratification society now. You know, why not? If you're willing to pay for it, there's something that you need now. You know, you can get it delivered to you in a few hours. Why not? If you're willing to pay for it, fine. But I don't know. I just don't see this. I guess there's just too many governmental regulations that are going to get in the way. And then all you need is one person to get injured because of a failing drone. Yeah. And oh boy. You know, some Chinese companies coming out with basically people drones, where it's a personal vehicle, you sit in it, you know, it's yeah, got the four propellers. Just... But my friends and I were talking about this, and we're all geeks. We looked at that and said, you've got to be kidding me. That is a death trap, because the propellers were not enclosed. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any shielding around them at all. That right there is a hazard. But then on top of that, if you're going to do something like that, you need to have those in an enclosure that can more easily funnel the airflow to give it more power and make it more efficient. Mm -hmm. And this thing just didn't have either of those. I'm like, wow, so it's going to be the least efficient thing possible, and it could potentially chop someone's legs off. Yeah. Brilliant. Have you heard of the Bloodhound? It's a uh, supersonic car. I've heard of it, but that's it. Over here, it's the, it's a British-led uh, effort to break the world speed land record, um, and it's hit a setback and has been delayed until 2018. The, the Bloodhound supersonic car was supposed to go into racing later this year to try and raise the current mark of 763 miles per hour, and they want to take it over over 800 miles per hour but the problem is described as short-term cash flow problems the upside says the team that it provides additional time to eke out more power from the car's rocket the engineers want some extra thrust just in case the final build of the vehicle turns out to be heavier than expected Uh, it's frustrating and I know the team are disappointed, but we're resilient and we're going to make this happen. 
said uh, Richard Noble, who's the director of, of Bloodhound. The money is coming in, but it doesn't always match our planning and fit with the times that we need it, <laughs> which is always the way. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, the project's education programme, which delivers STEM activities to schools, continues at a pace. Nearly 100,000 children have participated in the last year, developing their knowledge of maths and physics by constructing and running mini rocket cars, which is really cool. Bloodhound has signed some really big sponsorship deals recently, notably with the Chinese auto manufacturer Geely. Well, I've never heard of, actually. And this cleared all their debts. Mr Noble said he was also in the process of inking two more ties with a major IT company and one with a leading fashion brand, but he wasn't prepared to say who they actually were. At this time, it takes for deals to be agreed, for contracts to be signed, for, for the money to then come in, and flow is sometimes not as quick as we would like. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm reasonably happy on how we're able to make our budget this year which is great and that means we'll be on the desert running the car probably mid-summer 2018 the car itself is all but finished and it was put on static display in uh, 2015 and then stripped down for final reassembly with fluids and checks the plan now is for bloodhound to do its slow speed testing (laughs) slow speed testing (laughs) 200 miles per hour on a runway at the uh, Nuki Aero Hub in late summer stroke autumn this year. It's amazing how this thing is powered. Basically, this car has an EJ200 Eurofighter jet engine strapped to the back of it. <laughs> I guess it beats a, a some kind of SRB. Yeah, but to have uh, basically a fighter jet engine <laughs> strapped to the back of a car. Um, wow. And it's going to be taken to a racetrack in South Africa, uh, which is uh, like a desert plain, really. But yeah, to take it up to 800 miles per hour. Bloodhound's partner on this is the Norwegian aerospace and defence company called NAMO. Uh, I can imagine that it needs an aerospace company to get involved in this. It is quite amazing. I mean, I have seen the display for the Bloodhound when I was at the National Transport Museum in Coventry. Um, they've actually got the vehicle there that got them to 763 miles per hour, which was called Thrust. That is like just a few miles under the sound barrier. Yeah. That's amazing. And they've actually got, you know those um, those simulator things you just sit in and uh, sure. they've actually got one of thrust going across a salt lake at 700 miles an hour. Uh, and it's amazing to sit in and feel this thing bouncing around as it goes across the ground. Um, oh. Speaking of that kind of thing, that's another thing I saw at PAX that was I didn't have a chance to do it. It was really cool, but it was an F1 racing simulator where for the people who were watching, they had three giant screens. But for the person in the seat, they had a VR helmet. Oh, wow. Oh, now that that's where VR for the home could really be amazing. Talking of VR, what do we got? You remember that little um, cardboard thing I, I bought recently? Yeah. Um, tried it out, put in a few programs in there, and there was this one about um, it was an ocean thing. Turned it on, attached it to my face, and there was this hammerhead shark. It came ah. straight at the screen, and I jumped backwards. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was, oh. it was quite um, quite good for what it was. And what I've done with it, because my um, LG G4 is a bit big to fit in it. So mm-hmm. I've got my old Galaxy S4 and I use it just for the headset. <laughs> That's all I use right. it for. And it fits in there fine. The only problem I had with it is the, the actual strap that goes around your head. The, the one on this, I don't know if it's the same on the actual the proper cardboard, it's Velcro. It just Velcros yeah. around. And that will not stay on your face properly. It just really dro- drops down. Well, yeah. I, I guess it depends on the quality. The one that I have is also Velcro, mm. but it didn't come with it. It came... Because my first cardboard headset was where I bought the lenses and the strap from a company who sells just that. Mm. And but it was made to fit with the, with the original Google Cardboard setup, so I just used that strap. They're actually like a, it's, it's actually like ski goggle quality. Oh right, I see. Really, really thick, really good stuff. Yeah, what I found with that, it, it that holds the Velcro just fine, but I've noticed that I had to put the straps like way up near the top of the cardboard setup mm. to keep it from falling forward or whatever. And yeah, it's going to have to be a little tight, but it's fun. It, I just wish there was more out there to it. What I really wish, and there is a company out there, I think they, I think the product is called Riftcat, where they're trying to come up with a client server model to allow you to play Steam-based VR games on your PC and have the graphics piped back to your phone. Oh, right. I've tried a couple of demos, and it works pretty well. The problem is a lot of the, the VR games on Steam require actual VR game controller hardware, mm-hmm. which, of course, this Riftcat you can't do. You need, you know, you have to actually buy the hardware to it. So, but I mean, some of the demos work did you try that Titans of Space? Yeah, I did try that. That's quite impressive, actually. I enjoyed that one so much, I actually went ahead and purchased it, just because I thought, this is really cool. The thing that got me was, you've got the different planets that actually fly around, and then you look behind you, and you've got the sun behind yep. you, and that looks so bright when you look behind you. Yeah. It's like, wow. Uh, to anyone who doesn't know, Titans of Space is it's an educational program more than anything else but it's basically a tutorial of the solar system so you you sit in this chair that's floating in space and it just takes you around and lets you learn about the planets and some but not all of their moons it's just a cool thing to sit and watch for 10 minutes or so it's fun and i love with vr how your brain kind of plays tricks on you where even though you're sitting still, your brain still kind of makes you feel like you're in motion. Because mm. I also have a couple of roller coaster VR things for cardboard. And that's just like, you can feel like your head is going off to the sides. Of course, that, well, that's what gets a lot of people motion sick. No, the problem I had, uh, I was watching a video, one of the YouTube videos. There's, there's a lot of different ones where you can travel to different countries and have a look around what, what's going on. And it was a fish market in Japan. And uh, I don't know why I picked that one of, of any particular reason. And the problem with, with it is, is wherever the person is holding the, the camera is standing, you can can see whatever they're standing on yeah and they were standing on some kind of wooden pallet and mm-hmm. every time i kept moving i kept feeling like i was going to trip over this pallet <laughs> even though it wasn't there <laughs> i wish vr hardware wasn't as expensive as it is now granted as a pc gamer well just a gamer in general my pc crushes any console out there right 
you know, power-wise. I can go to VR, but, you know, the only one that I would consider going to is the HTC Vive, and that's like $700. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, really? At least PlayStation, theirs is down to like 400 which is better. But the problem with VR is it's just, it's like anything else. Without the content, it's not going to matter. That's it. And and right now, I mean, I know guys who, who'd have far more money than they need to be able to purchase a, a really good VR headset. And even they're like, I've got no justification for it. There's nothing out there that says, oh, well, now I have to buy VR because that product is available. And they got to get past that. There's so much VR shovelware crap on Steam, it's hurting more than helping. The, the problem with VR is unless you have a huge area that you can use, that you can walk around, which most people don't. Yeah. You're really restricted to games where you can sit down, like racing or flight combat or you know space or something like that mm-hmm. maybe you could use it with first person RPGs if you can convince yourself that you don't have to walk to get there you know like like you're sitting in a chair or something yeah otherwise VR or unless it's something that you can stand but you don't have to move around a lot because one game that I played last year was actually really fun it was a western shootout kind of game so you were in a saloon and it was two against two and you basically just stayed where you were but you could duck you could weave uh, you could pick up dynamite sticks and throw them that sort of thing that one was a lot of fun and that all I had to do was just weave and duck and cover and stuff like that. And I, I will say this, I crushed in it. It was a two by two out of twelve total kills. I got eight. That's not bad. It was the first time I've ever used VR like that. And the guy was like, Are you sure this is your first time? I was like, Yep. <laughs> that was really cool. And then there was another one, a space game out there called Elite. Yeah. Which is more about trading and combat and stuff, but they mm-hmm. had a separate piece that is about flight simulation more than anything else. That was really cool because everything is dark, and then like like Battlestar Galactica, suddenly the launch tube lights up, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden like, there's just this massive launch tube going way out into the distance, and then they just take off. I was like, whoa, this is cool. But again, I was able to sit down there. That's the thing. VR is really cool, but it's just so limited in its application use for the home. We have a a theme park here called Alton Towers, and they have a ride there, which is a virtual reality roller coaster. It's pretty cool. It's called Galactica. And uh, basically, you get strapped into this roller coaster and you are horizontal, and then you put a VR mask on. So, not only are mm-hmm. you actually traveling on the roller coaster, you're going through space and things. Uh, it, it's, it's a modified roller coaster because it used to be without the VR headset and it used to be called Air. <laughs> but they gave you a VR headset and now it's called Galactica. Um, but you can find it on YouTube. You can actually see the, uh, the ride from the perspective of the the VR headset. Uh, I, I think there is another one somewhere I've seen, but uh, I think it was the first virtual reality roller coaster. But it's, it's pretty cool. Of course, I, I wanted 3D to succeed too, but that failed for a number of different reasons. But VR, it's just it's going to run into the same thing. It's going to be niche, and I don't think there's going to be enough people who are going to go for it 
there's just so many hurdles they're going to have to overcome, not the least of which is the really high barrier to entry. But even once you get past that, the content just... I don't know how they're going to overcome a lot of that. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. I know. I've seen. Not even that, but like I said, you just because so many people can get so motion sick so easily, and they're not going to have a whole ton of room to walk around and, and move around, unless it's something where you can sit, or it's a game where you can stand still, or at least stand in one position, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity out there for really doing something in VR. For someone like me who's played first-person games and shooters and RPGs for so long, I realize I am playing a game in first-person perspective, but I am sitting. I am so used to that. I don't think an RPG or a shooter in VR would really phase me. Plus, just from sitting, I know where my mouse and keyboard are, so I have that center of focus. I don't think a lot of people are going to be able to do it, though. I mean, the one spot that I think is going to do, or could do really well, is augmented reality, where you still see whatever's in front of you, Mm -hmm. but then they overlay something on top of it to augment what you're seeing. But that's got an even more ridiculous barrier to entry. Some of the demos that Microsoft has done are just mind-blowing with how cool they are. But then you're talking like $3,000 for the AR glasses. Uh-huh. Um, no. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I'm hopeful, but not optimistic. Maybe that's the way to look at it. I, I liked those um, augmented reality things that I did through uh, the Star Wars comics. They were quite cool. Obviously, you needed your phone to, to do it. Right. Basically, hover your phone over the over the page in the comic, uh, mm-hmm. and it was promoting Force Awakens, and it was bizarre, uh, and it allows you to take a photograph of it as it happens. Yep. Uh, where yeah, I remember playing um, with that. Yeah, the flame trooper was just coming out of the page, mm-hmm. and it was like, wow, this is actually cool. <laughs> and apparently, they're they're bringing out comics. You can interact with the comic. The same well, they've they've been doing that. Nintendo, the Nintendo 3DS does that. Does it? You know, if yeah, if, if you get special Nintendo, I forget what they call the cards, but um, they're cards with a, a type of QR code on top of it. Mm. If you just set it down and you point your 3DS at it, it'll recognize what it is, and all of a sudden there's a Nintendo character that just pops up out of it right on the screen. Oh wow! Although it's using the cameras on the back so that you can see what it's actually doing. That's been kind of a thing for a while. Uh, talking about that kind of thing, obviously with games like Pokemon Go and stuff like that. It was yeah, yeah, that's augmented reality. One of the um, local councils in, in a town called Milton Keynes in the UK, mm-hmm. they've been using a similar technology to get people to visit areas of the town. Basically, you can get a special app and there's different points around the town that you have to scan with your phone. Um, and, and it gets you to visit different places in the town, which you probably wouldn't normally visit. Oh, Google had the same thing. Oh, man, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, Google had the exact same kind of thing. You, It would be a game, a team-based game, where you would have to go somewhere mm-hmm. 
to get credit for it, but that means you would have to actually go to that place. Yeah. And, oh, man, I can't remember the name of... Oh, but, but I mean, that's another spot where it could really work, virtual tourism. Yeah. Again, as long as you could just sit down, like, pretend that you're in some kind of Professor X floating chair, you know. Well, they've kind of done it with those. I remember I mentioned it on one of the other uh, podcasts about the Kennedy Space Center. I've got a few apps mm-hmm. out there, which I've, I've tried. They're okay. Fantastic. Right. Uh, well, you can actually take a tour of the uh, the visitor complex via your headset, uh, yeah. which isn't bad. No, that's a cool thing. Uh, have you ever read the book Ready Player One? Yes. Okay, so you know that that whole world basically is just VR, and mm-hmm. the whole thing is just the whole thing is just VR, really. Yeah. Well, Steven Spielberg is making that movie, and they just announced like yesterday, I think that he now is working with HTC's uh, and, and their Vive VR setup to basically do Ready Player One and, and have an associated VR program with it. That sounds cool. That could be very cool. And oh, I'm trying to remember which other one. One of the, I want to say Justice League also is doing something that is going to deal with VR as well. I'm pretty sure it was Justice League. Yeah, that's it. Warner Brothers is working with IMAX to uh, have some kind of VR capabilities there. VR experiences will be available at IMAX VR centers before being made to other platforms, including home and mobile devices. Yeah, that was just like announced today. Wow. I've got um, one more story that I discovered today about one of our favorite people in um, in the space industry anyway, Elon Musk. And he has launched a company called Neuralink, which is a, a startup company which aims to develop technology that connects our brains with computers. Now, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal, it confirmed in a tweet by Elon Musk that the company was in its very early stages and is registered as a medical research firm. Uh, the company will develop a so-called neural lace technology, which will implant tiny electrodes into the brain. The technique could be used to improve memory or give humans added artificial intelligence. According to the journal, leading academics in the field have been signed up to work at the company, which is being funded privately by Elon Musk. Hmm. Specialists in the field envision a time when humans may be able to upload and download thoughts. In a tweet, Mr. Musk uh, confirmed the existence of the company and said more details about the firm would be made public via Wait But Why, a website known for illustrating its lengthy posts with often crude but charming stick figure drawings. Um, Tweeting about Neuralink, Mr Musk conceded that it would be difficult to dedicate time to it, but its risk is too high not to get involved. I'm not sure about that. I'm getting uh, visions of total recall. Yeah, um, I guess part of me thinks it's cool, and it certainly could benefit people who have some kind of of like mental disabilities. Yeah, I could see it helping that way. Part of me also says I'd like to see this more toward like people with physical disabilities mm-hmm. and and help them with mobility issues, which I know we already do. You know, and, and people who can control robotic arms from just using whatever they like 
like say they, they lose their lower arm. Yeah. Well, they can have a prosthetic on there that's robotic and they can control and do things like that. I know we've got that. I guess I just would like to see more research into that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe cybernetic exoskeletons so that people who can't walk will be able to. I see where he's going with this, but yes, I will not deny that it that Hollywood does kind of make this potential a little bit creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it said about uh, more information about the film will be put, wait, but why? Apparently that's going to be the first week of April. Part of me saying, yeah, this is good. There is part of me saying that's kind of scary. I guess I just need to know more about it. I mean, all right, oh, yeah, you can, you can save your thoughts and this, that, and the other on it, but the fact that somebody could be implanting other thoughts into your head is not good. But, uh, that, let's see what he... I mean, I know, I know Elon does, every, you know, he does things for the right reasons. Um, yeah, he does. But, you know, it depends on how it gets taken by other people that get involved and... Because it sounds like he hasn't got time to actually deal with it himself, but he's he's just I've got this idea. Here's some money, make it happen. Yeah, which is <laughs> that, yeah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Let the people who actually work in this field do it. Well, now you know another a potential benefit for this Alzheimer's patients. You know, if suddenly their memories are starting to go away, but they can be saved off and then recalled artificially and i could if they can get that to work i can see that happening there is that benefit to it yeah huh but as i say it's early days it's only something that's been come up very recently and i it just seems to me a lot of the time with elon he has so many ideas in his head and he'll just go right i've got an idea i mean look at all the things that he's been involved in though i mean i'm not talking just spacex and and uh and, and tesla but the hyperloop and um mm-hmm. paypal lots of things that he's been involved in oh wow i forgot that he was involved in paypal yeah yeah he was one of the founders of paypal wow <laughs> I still use that. Mm, everybody does, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know a lot of people are just like, no, I hate PayPal. So whatever. It's very huh. convenient. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Right, I think we should start wrapping things up. I think we've included quite a lot of different bits and pieces, and, and things seem to flow quite well. I, I, I want to try and bring a tech aspect to the show in occasionally. We do mention on our promotional material that we do have tech stuff on there, and that's something I do want to bring in. I'd also, at some point, want to try and bring in other voices who are involved in tech, you know, to come on board, because the more the merrier, I think, on the show. Mm-hmm. always like to have uh, other voices on the show when we can. I knew you were going to try to weed me out. <laughs> no. I knew you were going to... See? See? I knew it. <laughs> It'd just be great to expand, I think. I'm just trying to expand. <laughs> expand the brand. 
<laughs> As I say, I think we better wrap things up. And oh, uh, sure. once again, it's always good to have you on the show, John. Good to be back, sir. And I think the next time we have a show, it'll probably be our uh, annual Yuri's Night event. Uh-huh. Yeah, so everybody look out for that. I'm coming up with ideas for that. <laughs> so, everybody, we will speak to you again real soon. And uh, take care, one and all. Toodles! Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. Be sure to visit tgpnominal.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode. Just look for the relevant tab on the menu. Let us know what you think of the show. Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com. Because your input is our output. Or you can use the social media icons at the top of the page that include Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can find links on all our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.